Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. Paul writes this book to his spiritual son, Timothy. Scholars believe this is the last thing that Paul ever wrote before he was executed. This is the last thing he put down, and we've said every week, how many know when uh, you know you're at the end of your life, you don't mix words. You say what needs to be said. You say what's important. You don't, you don't beat around the bush. You say what matters. And, and so that's this book, Paul writing to Timothy. We talked about Paul and Timothy's relationship as spiritual son, spiritual father. We talked about the second week, he said, be bold, Timothy, be bold, hold fast to the word, keep the faith, finish the race, keep going. We talked last week how to endure, uh, how to endure just like a soldier, just like an athlete, and just like a farmer. And so today we're going to start out at verse number 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And God's word says this, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself approved, or to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus. Let's just stop real quick and praise God. Your parents didn't name you that. (laughs) Are Hymenaeus and Pilatus, and they have departed from the truth, and they say that the resurrection has already taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. I love this. He's like, hey, some people have left the truth. Some people are not walking in the truth, but don't be worried. God's truth still stands. Don't be worried. Uh, People can't shake the solid foundation of God. People's unbelief and false beliefs don't rattle the truth of God's word. He says, says, "Be, be encouraged. God's foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from Wickedness. Today, I want to talk around the idea of preparing or presenting yourself approved. Presenting yourself approved. And if you've been here for any number of weeks, you know I, I pray before we get into the word every week. And my prayer is really the same. I pray the same thing every single week. And so I thought instead of me praying it every week, we could just all pray it together as a church as we get into the word. Does that sound good? So I've got it on the screen behind me. Let's pray as we receive God's word together. Say, Dear God, today, do what no man can do. Open my eyes, open my heart, that I may receive your word, believe your word, and obey your word. If you believe it, somebody say amen. Amen. I'm going to preface today's message with the reality that it's going to be a little heavy and a little tough at points. Can I just say that? Is that okay? Can I just let you know? In case you feel it later, I'm just letting you know. Um... That's what happens when you go through the text verse by verse. It's like, if you don't, if you don't jump around too much, you, you, you're going to run into some things you got to wrestle with. <laughs> you're going to run into some things that are challenging and maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And so, so today, today is one of those days. And in, in verse 14, when uh, at the beginning of our text today, he's, he's reminding Timothy, he says, hey, 
Keep reminding God's people of these things. What are these things? It's the gospel. A few verses before, he's talking about the good news of Christ and the faithfulness of God. And so he says, hey, Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. All right, the instruction here is not preaching it to the lost. It's preaching it to God's people. So he says, hey, keep reminding people who believe the gospel about the gospel. (laughs) Keep preaching the gospel to people who have already believed the gospel. That's what he's saying. He's, he's getting this idea of that we, we never move on from the gospel of Jesus. You, you never graduate from the gospel. You never check the gospel box and move on to other things. He says, hey, keep preaching the gospel to those who have believed the gospel. Keep reminding them of the fact that Christ died for our sins and was buried and on the third day rose again. Keep reminding them of the, of the redemption and salvation we have available. Gus already talked about it today because of the shed blood of Christ. Keep reminding them to repent and turn to Christ. Keep preaching the gospel to those who already know the gospel. If you come here maybe consistently or any amount of time, you might start to see like common threads. You're like, hey, he's preaching the same thing a lot. He talked about money and he talked about relationships and he talked about sex and he talked about attitude, but he's actually all saying the same thing. Good. You're getting it. That's what we're like, that, that's the point. We're, we're continuing to preach the gospel. So he's, he's encouraging him, keep preaching the gospel, keep preaching the gospel. And then in verse 15, he begins what I will call a sobering warning. He begins to like wave a caution flag to begin to get the attention of Timothy. And uh, he, he says this, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as, as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed but correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, how many at your work have had maybe a monthly or quarterly or yearly evaluation? <laughs> right, how many, how many love those? You're like, yeah, bring it, come on, I love feedback. Yeah. Most of us don't. How many don't like that? You shy away from it, you're like, okay. And if, if you've been a part of a work culture environment that has feedback and evaluation, then the standard stays high and the workers stay diligent. They stay focused because they know what they're going to do is going to be tested. Because they know what they're going to do is going to be evaluated. They, they know they have to do work that is sufficient for the task because if they don't, they will not be approved of the job they're doing. If you've also been in a culture or a workplace with no feedback and no evaluation, you know people just get lazy. Stuff just starts to slip. The work environment gets very lackadaisical. The bar begins to lower. Why? Because stuff's not being evaluated. Stuff's not being, people aren't being uh, called up to the standard in the environment. And so what what Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, work hard because you're going to have to present yourself approved. He's saying you're going to be evaluated. Your evaluation before God is coming. And what you're going to be evaluated on is if you correctly handle the word of truth. Your your evaluation in heaven. Now look, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, by grace, period. But we also, scripturally, have to give an account for every word we said, thought we thought, person we interacted with, dollar we stewarded, second we gave, I mean, everything we do, we have, we're going to be judged and held accountable. And, and he's telling Timothy, you're going to be tested and evaluated on how you handle the word of truth. 
The word of truth, what is the word of truth? It's God's word. We see Paul use this language in many of other his writings. We know from John chapter one that was read this morning during worship that, that Jesus came as the word in the flesh. It is, it's the truth from God, it's the word from God. And he's saying, hey, you're going to have to correctly handle and work hard to handle this well because you're gonna be tested. And it's the dad writing to his son saying, hey, hey son, Work hard here, because I want you to pass the test and be one approved. Spiritual son, I want you to pass the test. I want you to be approved of the work that you're doing. And so I've got three observations from the text today that I want to give us. Point number one, this is in your notes. There is truth. There is truth. In verse number 15, when he instructs someone what he's going to be evaluated in, he says the word of truth. There's no question here as to the word of truth. There's no, like it's not ambiguous. He, he assumes there's truth. Jesus says this about himself in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus does not say I am a way, a truth, and a life. No, 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 it's, it's singular Jesus is not just saying there is truth. He's saying, I am the truth. What does truth look like? What is truth embodied? Look at Jesus. What is truth? Paul would say, Peter would say, John would say, James would say, the truth is God's word. There is truth. And and the, the scripture, everywhere you look, assumes, it goes on the assumption, there's truth. And God's word is truth. God is truth. He is a God of truth. He speaks the language of truth. When God speaks, the language he's speaking is truth. When when we read his word, the language we're reading is not just English, it's truth. We're reading the language of truth. And I want to ask you today, are you convinced that God's word is truth? Are, Are you convinced? I think of Paul in Romans where he says, I am convinced, and he talks about the love of God. Are you convinced God's word is true? Do you have a conviction? Do you have a a strong conviction that I can build my life on it because it is true? I can put my anchor down on it because it is true. I can make decisions filter through it because it is true. I can can put my life on it because God's word is true. Do you have a conviction? Do you believe his word is true? God's word is truth. There's a study, there's many studies that have been done. I found one recently um, about Generation Z. Generation Z. Gen Z is, you, you can give or take a, you know, a year on this, but if you're born between 1996 and 2012, so even some of the older Gen Z would be in Oasis Kids right now, okay? So it'd be 10, 11 years old. Gen Z, there's many, many issues that all the experts say they're wondering, they're wrestling with. The number one question Z, that Gen Z is asking is, what is truth? What is truth? This is the number one question they're asking. And it's a question, by the way, that the world is trying to answer a lot, so the church has got to be a part of the conversation. So what is truth? 65% of Gen Z believes truth is fluid. It's like it's, like there's not a truth. It's 
65% of Gen Z believes truth is changing, truth is flowing, truth is evolving, truth is ebb and flowing. Um, here's three cultural myths on truth. This is in your notes. Three cultural myths on truth. And I think we see this from Gen Z, but Gen Z is not the only one. Gen Z is just, I think, um, the result of the last few decades is, is, is where Gen Z is. Here's three myths on truth. Number one, truth is relative. Truth is relative. This is the belief of Gen Z that truth is fluid. What does that mean? It means that I can have my own truth and you can have your own truth. And you hear this language a lot. It's my truth. It's your truth. It's their truth. Truth is relative means everybody can have their own. It also means that different spaces and places can have different truths. So if truth is relative, what's true in Virginia doesn't have to be true in Oklahoma. It doesn't have to be true in New York. It doesn't have to be true in Africa, Asia, or, or Canada. It can, truth is relative. So truth can, truth can change depending on who you're talking to, where you're talking in context, because it's fluid, it's changing, it's ebb and flowing. This is a cultural myth about truth. The second thing about truth that the culture is saying is there's no truth. There's no truth. And the third thing, and I hear this a lot in the church. I hear this a lot from professed Christians. They'll say this, we can't know the truth. And it's framed up and chalked up in false humility. Because you'll hear stuff like this, who, who am I to think I can know the truth? Who, who are we to really think we know what is true? So it's framed in like a false humility, but what they're saying is, is like, Truth is this ambiguous thing out there that no one can figure out. And the, the problem with that is Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jesus never talked about truth that way. They, they never talk about truth as this ambiguous thing that nobody's going to ever be able to figure out. Jesus said, I'm the truth. Paul says, walk in the truth. He says, hold fast to the truth. He says, Timothy, rightly handle the word of truth. It's, it's, some, it's something that can be grasped. It's something that can be discovered. It's something that can be learned. Like, we can see what truth is. This is why Jesus came in the flesh to show us this is true. This is what it looks like. This is truth. Like, and, and so the cultural false humility of, oh, we just don't know. I just don't want to know. Don't buy that. Don't buy that. Don't buy that truth is relative and it's always changing. Like, if, if I'm preaching truth to you here, it better also be true for someone in Europe. Like, if I'm preaching to you here, it also better be true whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, old, young, grew up in the city or the suburbs, uh, on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Midwest. If I'm preaching the truth, it, it needs to apply to everyone. Because truth it's truth. It is God is truth. Truth is, is not relative. It's not ebb and flowing. Paul, ne Paul does not talk about truth in that way. He says, handle the word of truth, Timothy. Handle it correctly. The second thing is this. Truth can be mishandled and abandoned. Truth can be mishandled and it can be abandoned. Verse number 15, if he's telling him to handle it correctly... That's obviously because he's capable of handling it incorrectly. <laughs> if, if you're telling someone to do something right, it's because you don't want them to do it wrong. So, so if he's being encouraged, handle the word of truth correctly, it is possible for him to handle it incorrectly. Truth can be 
mishandled. In verse 17 and 18, when he calls out these two people who have abandoned the truth, what he's saying is, hey, these people were walking in the truth, but now they talk about the resurrection in a way that's not consistent with the gospel. So he's saying, hey, they were walking in the truth, but now they've abandoned the truth. It is possible to abandon the truth. I think it's important here that we make a differentiation on majors and minors. Because there's some major things about the faith where if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. Like there's some major things. So what he's talking about here about the resurrection, he's like, hey, you're off on the resurrection, you've abandoned the faith. You've abandoned truth. You've mismanaged the truth. And, and so there, there are some things, there are some major pillars, the gospel being the main one, where it's like this, you, you've got to hold fast to the truth here. Then there's a bunch of minors where Christians debate all the time. This is all the different denominations, all kinds of things where people break up. And, and I, I'm not here to debate minors. We'll, we'll do messages about the minors later. But, but, but the minors are not hills to die on. The majors are hills to die on. Okay, so, so truth can be mismanaged and truth can be abandoned. Here's the next point in your notes. Satan knows, yet twists the scripture. (laughs) Satan knows the scripture better than me, and Satan knows the scripture better than you. Satan knows the word, but he doesn't walk in the truth of the word. He takes his knowledge of the word and twists it and manipulates it in order to present it to you in a way that won't lead to life, but will lead to destruction. So this is, this is all over the place. This is the garden. God speaks to Adam and Eve, right? Here's my word. Here's my boundaries. Here's, right, he, he sets them up in perfect, in, 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 in the garden, just per, absolute perfection. No sin, no pain, no void, no, and perfection. And what does Satan do? He comes in, with God's word in his mouth, twisted to lead them to destruction. Did, did God really say, did, when, when God said that, is that what God meant when, that, when God said? Right? So, so he comes at them with the word, mishandled. Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, he's in the wilderness, he's in the desert, and he's tempted by the enemy. How does the enemy tempt him? With the word. <laughs> He, he, it's so funny. He's tempting the word with the word. Good luck. And the word being tempted with the word fights it with the word. Jesus combats the twisted word of the enemy presented to him with, he, he combats truth mishandled with truth properly handled. Look, this is, this is what's needed today. We, we need to combat truth mishandled with truth properly handled. He comes to him in the garden. Here's, here's what the devil would like to do. I don't have a blank on this in your notes, but I think you should write it down. He would want to use your allegiance to, yet lack of knowledge about the Bible to lead you astray. You say, man, I'm committed to the word. I'm committed to the Bible. I'm committed. But if you don't know it, The enemy will bring something to you that you're committed to, twisted and manipulated, and if you don't know, he'll lead you to destruction. He would love to use your allegiance to, yet yet your lack of knowledge about the scripture to lead you astray. All right, so here's examples. I don't just want to preach these principles to you. I want to be really practical. I want to be really helpful. I want to like take you through a little 
masterclass. Can I do that? Here's, here's some examples. You can put the next scripture up. You guys may have heard this scripture before. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who was unwilling to, to work shall not eat. Anybody heard this? You don't work, you don't eat. Right, it's often used to like get your butt out the house. You don't work, you don't eat. Get right, like, you know, so, right, so Paul's writing this biblical truth and principle. Satan, though, would love to take this truth and get you to think you don't have to have compassion for people. He would love to take this verse and get you to think you don't have to serve the poor and needy. Because to interpret this verse like that, you'd have to ignore the scriptures and the words of Jesus where he says, hey, when you fed the least of these, you fed me. Hey, hey when, you, when you clothed the naked, you clothed me. When you came and visited them in prison, you visited me. What you do for the least of these, you do unto me. What you, what you give to them is when, right, like, so, so, th- so Satan would love to take this and get you to be cold-hearted towards people in tough places and never serve and have compassion on anyone. It would be a manipulation of the scripture that would lead to destruction, not life. But handled correctly, you would take this principle of God's word, which is true, paired with the instruction of compassion and serving and grace and giving, and they don't contradict each other, they complement each other. So now we serve and have compassion with this principle in mind, we're trying to help people get to a better place. Are you with me today? So, so we've got one in Romans chapter five. I love this one, Romans five, verse 20. The law was brought in so that trespassing might increase, but where sin increases, come on, this will preach, right? Where sin increases, grace increased all the more. Satan would love for you to take this verse and think, praise God, I can sin all the more, and it is an invitation for all the more grace. Like, I can, sin increased, grace increased. I can do what I want. That's mishandled. He's talking about the law was revealed to show you the vastness of your weakness and sin, and so that we're... Sin abounds, grace superabounds. But if you look at this in the context, you realize that a heart that has accepted the grace doesn't desire sinful things. They desire righteous things. But Satan would love to manipulate God's word and get you to mishandle the word so that this leads you down a path of destruction thinking that grace covers you and you don't face consequences for the decisions you're gonna make. Is this helpful today? The next thing in your notes is this. Spiritual leaders can mishandle the word. That's his whole charge to Timothy. He's a spiritual leader. He's like, hey, do not lead your people with God's word away from the truth. I just saw this week a study came out, and it was perfect timing for this message. I said, thank you, Lord. You're helping my sermon prep here. George Barna is the director of cultural research at the Arizona Christian University. George Barna has been doing this for years. He's just a statistics guy. He's a research guy. He doesn't, he doesn't come to conclusions. He just gathers data from Arizona Christian. And they've been working on the last two years a study of pastors in America. Okay, pastors in America. I'm not talking about lay people in the church talking about people in a pulpit with their microphone on Sunday. Pastors. 
And they were polling pastors on their worldview. They polled them on things, because I know for some of you, you want to know all the details of it. By the way, you can just search this study. It came out this week. There's a five-page thing on the study. You can read the whole thing. It's online. Arizona Christian University, George Barna. Okay? They surveyed over 1,000 pastors, and here's what they asked them about regarding their thoughts as far as the Bible on these issues. Okay? Um, things such as purpose, family, the value of life, God, creation, sin, salvation, character, nature, lifestyle, friendships and relationships, the Bible, truth, morals. All right, so think of any kind of big, big topic of ideas, and that was just the beginning of the list. There were so many other things. And they asked pastors what they believed to be biblically true about these things. And the results of the study were that 37% of pastors in America have a biblical worldview. 37, yeah, that's how I feel about it too. <laughs> 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. They said the majority of the pastors that they surveyed, they described their thoughts and worldview as syncretism. Here's, here's how they define that it's the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of worldviews into a unique but not consistent combination that represents their own preferences. Over 60%. 37% of the pulpits are biblical worldviews. Here's what's even more scary to me, and I think this is a, a reason for where we are right now and why at Oasis we're gonna be, I'm praying and we're moving in a direction for the next generation that's gonna prioritize them even more. 12% of kids and student pastors had a biblical worldview. 12%. So, so the people teaching and instructing the next generation, one out of 10 of them is guiding them in the way of truth. Nine out of 10 are sprinkling in their own opinions and ideas with a verse. It's showing this, that the culture is now affecting the pulpit more than the pulpit is affecting the culture. Okay, so this has not always been true. For, for decades, it was the pulpit and the preaching of God's word in the local church that held truth and walked in truth and lived out truth that really changed communities and affected the culture and made a difference and served people and loved people and built families and built, built cities. It, it was the pulpit that had driven the culture. Now the culture is driving the pulpit. So this is why it's so important that we don't blindly accept the preaching of God's word. It's why I tell you, it's why I tell our church often, bring your Bible. Like, not, like I'm not talking about the verse. Like, I could have I made up something on there, and you might not know. You know what I mean? Like, like, bring your Bible. I want you to look at it. I want you to see it. Because I don't want you to blindly trust me. Number one, like, I might just die tomorrow. I, I'm not promised tomorrow any more than you are, uh, you might get a different job and move. You might, you know, like, like I'm not always going to be preaching to you forever. I, as, as long as I'm in front of you and God gives me the ability to serve and preach God's word to you, I'm going to work hard to handle the truth. But like, don't listen to me because it's me. <laughs> listen to it because I'm handling correctly the word of truth. Just because they're a spiritual leader doesn't mean they're handling the truth correctly. And this data 
shows us in a sobering way that that's very true right now in America. So, so today, today I want to give you some practical examples. Again, I want to help you. And this is not church bashing hour. I'm not here to attack other pulpits. I'm not here to call out names. I'm not here to do any of that. I'm here to preach the word of God. I'm here to equip you to handle the word of God. Um, but I've got two examples. I've got two videos I'm going to show here in a second. And these guys aren't local, and I don't know them. Okay, so this isn't, I don't know these guys. But I do know these are pastors with audiences that are listening to them. Particularly the second one has tens of millions of views on social media that students are watching. But they're examples of what I would say incorrectly handling the word of truth. Okay, and so, so I want to preface these. You're going to see them and be like, oh, wow, that's extreme. That's crazy. And I would say it's, it's really actually normal right now. Like, what might, like what, what might seem crazy to you, like, people are doing it. People are listening to this. People are following it. People are preaching it. So, so the first one that I want to show you is a pastor speaking regarding the transgender movement. The transgender movement essentially strips away biological gender that God created male and female. And he takes that hot topic of the day, which we'll actually do a theology of that probably in the fall because I feel like it's everywhere now and you can't avoid it and I want to give you a biblical understanding of it. But it's, it's this pastor taking what is now a hot topic and injecting the scripture into the transgender movement. So here's, here's the video of this pastor. ...to humanity. So I think Jesus um, transgenders himself on a number of occasions. Um, I, I think, you know, just, just a little phrase where Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, longing to gather Jerusalem as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Um, I think if you look at um, the foot washing from John's Gospel, foot washing elsewhere in both Old and New Testament, that it's consistently done by, by women. And yet Jesus takes that on. People often cast that as being the servant's role. It was the woman's role. Uh, and, and Jesus does it and becomes the woman at that point. Um, and I think, you know, we've observed that, you know, he's unmarried, he's childless, he defies gender and sexual norms of his day, he's known for associating with those whose own sexual history or gender identity may be ambiguous. So I think in Jesus, we've got a revelation. All right, so I want to explain real quick what you just saw. Because there was a prophecy about Jesus, like a mother hen cares for her hens, as a female analogy, that Jesus is becomes a female, and because Jesus washed feet of the disciples, and that was normally a woman's role, his gender is now fluid when he's doing something different, and it, like, it, so, but, but, but notice, he's using scripture, he's using God's word to mishandle it and push something that's popular here right now, and so we've got to fight mishandled truth with correctly handled truth. So I don't even think I need to go into the foot washing thing. I think it's just, I think he helps my argument. I don't even need to argue. <laughs> like, but, but you have to look holistically. Like there's, there's several. There's one from Genesis. We see in Genesis 5 and creation, ready? God created them. This is me and you. This is creation. Male, biological male, and female. There's two on the list. God created male and God created female. We see Jesus talking about this concept again in Matthew's gospel, he says it like this, that a man, biological man, will leave his father, his biological man, father, and mother, biological woman, and be united to his wife, 
female, and the two will become one flesh. Like it's, it's clear throughout the entirety of scripture that there's male and there's female, and it is not a fluid concept. It is not a concept that you get to decide based on whatever you're doing or what season you're in, yet he mishandles the truth and takes this cultural concept and injects it into Jesus and the prophecies about him. Are you seeing this with me? Okay, so the second one is this. This is a pastor, and again, if if there's anybody in here under the age of 20, you probably have seen this guy. I mean, when I say tens of millions, I mean, he's all over the internet. People are flooding this guy's thing. And so he's, he's teaching about the concept of there's no hell, everyone is saved. Uh, and so check out this video. But on the other hand, the answer is everyone will ultimately be saved. Everyone will ultimately be embraced by the love and the grace of God. No one will be eternally damned or separated from God. My friend Rob Bell asked a few years ago a question that was provocative. He said, does God get what God wants? And his answer and mine is yes. If God has the power to be God, if God is truly God, then God always gets what God desires. And the scriptures proclaim that God desires the entire world to be reconciled to himself. They say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They say that it's not the will of the Father that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And therefore, all will be saved. All will be reconciled to God. All will be redeemed. All will ultimately confess and align their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is really good news. All right, so did you notice on there tons of scripture in a minute, right? You got Philippians, every knee will bow. You've got Peter, God's desire is that none should perish. So there's tons of scripture in there, but the end result conclusion is there's no eternal punishment. Everybody's gonna be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you put your faith in. God in love wins in the end, and no one is punished for their sins, even if they've rejected Jesus. That's the conclusion. But how many know from the entirety of scripture, you'd have to throw out a large percentage of the words of Jesus about hell? about an urgency to preach the gospel to the lost. If, if this is true, we don't need to go on a missions trip. If this is true, you don't need to share the gospel. If this is true, you don't need to stand on the word of truth because all are saved in the end. But how many know, again, we can fight mishandled truth with rightly handled truth. So Acts chapter four, verse number 12. This is just one, okay? But each of these could be a whole message. You hope you understand. I'm just trying to give you a short, a short way to see this. So salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name unto heaven given to man which we must be saved. Like, there, there is a, there's a clear, obvious, like, you must be saved. Like, you, you're either not saved or you're saved. And there's one name that you're saved under. And man must, like, like, like the, we, we fight mishandled truth with handled truth. Like, there is a reality of heaven and hell. And there is urgency to share the gospel and love our neighbor and preach the good news of Jesus. If, if, if everyone is saved, like, why did Jesus have to die then? So this is, this is everywhere. Spiritual leaders can mishandle the truth. And again, I want to push back maybe if you're thinking like, oh, that's just a crazy internet guy. That's the crazy fringe, fringe guy saying those things. Like, I'm telling you, it's not. I'm telling you, it's very common. It's, it's, 
it's everywhere, so we have to rightly handle the truth. Here's some practical things to do. All these aren't in your notes, but you can write them down. Here's some things to do. Uh, don't believe anyone who quotes a text. Second <laughs> Peter 3.16, he says this. He's talking about the apostle Paul. Okay, Peter is talking about Paul, and I love him. He kind of like gives him a little jab. <laughs> he says, he, says he, he writes the same way in all of his letters speaking of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. He's like, look, when Paul writes sometimes, he's like way up here. You know, he's like, if you're one of those people that checks your brain at the door, you miss Paul. You just missed him. He's like, you know, and so he's like, hey, Paul's letters are hard to understand. But then, but then look, ignorant and unstable people distort them. So ignorant and unstable people have taken Paul's writings and distorted them. And then he says, look, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So he's warning, hey, people are taking the truth, twisting it, manipulating it to fit their own preferences and the to fit their own politics, to fit their own popularity, to fit their own convenience, to fit their own, you name it, they're doing it. And he said they're, they're doing it to their own destruction. So don't believe anyone who quotes a text. Number two, read and understand the whole biblical narrative. Read and understand the whole biblical narrative. In order to fully understand the gospels, you've got to understand the Old Testament. We're, we're, we're doing a Bible reading plan now as a church. There's some places out in the lobby, I believe. Kyle, are they still out there? Okay, well, they're going to be out there soon. We'll get them out there next week. Can we make sure we do that? Um, where there's a QR code, you can scan it and you can get into our Bible reading plan. We're reading the whole Bible this year chronologically. Why is it important that you read the whole text? Because if you, if you miss the whole story, you can misinterpret a chapter if you don't know the whole story. Right? So, so read and study the whole biblical narrative. Every truth that you read from Paul must be held in tension with Jesus and Peter and James Right in the Old Testament. The third thing is this. Read and study theological sources that decades and centuries have proven to be solid. Read and study theological resources that decades and centuries have proven to be solid. Okay? Don't read or believe the guy that declares... 2,022 years after Christ, God has finally decided to give him the right revelation. It's like for all of church history and all of the early church and for thousands of years, everybody's totally been misled. God has been withholding the truth. And now, 2,000 years later, God has finally given us the answer to all that we've been waiting for. Like, like don't read and base your theological study on the new trend of the day because that's, that has been different for 2,000 years. It's like this thing, this thing, this thing. And that'll be different five years from now and 10 years from now. Base your theology and your study on what the early church and the early believers and what has withheld and stand and the church has been built on for 2,000 years. Like, like we, we did not just figure it out today. You didn't just get 2,000 year brand new special revelation. We base our study on what Christians and the church has stood for for thousands of years. And by the way, that stuff is pretty clear pretty clear. Next one. Pray and fast. God would give you proper understanding of his wonderful word. Man, open this book and you're going to study and you're going to read through it and you're going to ask questions and it's awesome. But open it and just ask the spirit of God to take off your blinders. Ask the spirit of God to remove your own filters and preferences. And, and we can't fully do that. We're human and we have our flesh. I've realized that. 
but just act, ask God that when you read his word, something supernatural would happen. The Bible says his spirit is our teacher. God, show me your wonderful word. Teach me your wonderful ways. And the last instruction is obey what you understand and you'll begin to understand more. Obey what you do understand. Obey what is clear to you now. And you'll learn more. You'll grow more. The last blank on your notes is this, and I'm going to pray for you. Truth mishandled leads to death. Truth correctly handled leads to life. Truth mishandled, it leads to death. I don't think you have to look far to see that. Truth correctly handled leads to life. I also believe you don't have to look far to see that. Paul actually provides evidence of this in chapter three. I'm just gonna read this and I'm gonna finish. Chapter number three, we won't have it on the screen. I want you to look at it in front of you. Here's here's evidence. Here's the result of mishandled truth. You ready? This is weighty. This is very discouraging reading. 2 Timothy 3, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Goodness, he's just, it's like, slow down, man, come on. Like, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited. They love pleasure over God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power, have nothing to do with such people. Say, hey, here's the result of mishandling truth. Because by the way, someone acting like that could stamp a verse on any of it. So if I mishandle it, it's going to lead to destruction. If I handle it well, it's going to lead to life. And I work very hard as your pastor, and I hope you see it, and I hope you know, I pray that I do. As it gets increasingly unpopular, I want to continue to rightly handle the truth to you. I want to continue to guide you in the way of the truth and equip you to do it. Because, look, I got 40 minutes with you today. I got about 55. I'm going long today. I'm looking at the clock. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Uh, I got a little bit of time with you each week, but I want to take that time to equip you to properly handle the word of truth. We seek the spirit of God and the presence of God here, but we're also full of the word and scripture. And so, so I pray this about me and I prayed about you that we would rightly handle the word of truth so that we can walk in life and lead other people to life. How unloving is it to mishandle truth for someone else? How loving is it to handle it rightly and lead them into the ways of God? Amen? Just stand to your feet all over the room today. I wanna pray and then we're gonna close with one last song of worship today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Just in a posture of worship, in a posture of surrender, I want, to, I want you to ask the Spirit of God to take today's word and to plant it deep into your heart, that it, it might produce fruit, that if there was conviction in any part of your life or your heart today, that the Spirit of God would, would move you to obedience, that the conviction would not just be for a moment, but that it would move to action. God, God doesn't condemn us with our sin, but he convicts us of our sin so that we might walk in righteousness. So Lord, today we're sensitive to your Spirit. God, we're open to what it is that you're speaking to 
us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. It is, it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, I pray for our church that we would be people that walk in the ways of truth, that we would walk in the path that leads to life. God, that we would love your word and love your ways, that we would delight in your laws. Lord, as the psalmist said, uh, it, it, delight in your law and meditate on it day and night. God, may we rejoice in the truth and love the truth and delight in the truth and, and put our anchor down in the truth today, God. And we realize we can't do this on our own. God, we can't walk in the truth in our flesh. God, we can't do it without the help from the Holy Spirit, our helper. God, we can't do it alone. So, Lord, we humbly ask that you help us, God, that you equip us, that you empower us by your spirit, by your people, by your word to walk in your ways, God. God, give us boldness to stand on your truth today as it is increasingly unpopular. Give us courage, God, to not go with with the stream of culture, God, but to stand on the solid rock of Christ, God. Give us faith when others Others aren't standing with us. Give us boldness when we're swimming upstream. Give us courage to stand even if it costs us something. God, help us to be lovers of you and of your word today. Do it in our lives today, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.